Is it possible that something could be darker than House of Cards? Yes, this one. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back for our brand new episode of Ladies Night. I am so thrilled and honored to have Robin Wright as our guest this time around. Hello and huge congratulations on your future directorial debut. Thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. I cannot wait to get to land, but I warned you, we go back to the beginning on this show. And the first question I have for you is, when you first said to yourself, I want to be an actor, what did you picture the dream looking like? Was it being a movie or TV star, following in the footsteps of an idol, you name it? Well, when I first got the bug to, to want to pursue it, after being um, petrified at the notion of it, it was after watching Meryl Streep's work, like Kramer versus Kramer, she was in Deer Hunter. When I saw these films and I was like, that's inspirational that kind of talent and range. Um, so yeah, she, she was definitely an inspiration. What was it about uh, pursuing a career in acting that petrified you? It kind of still does <laughs> the same reason, which is I don't like getting emotional in front of a huge crew of people. That just doesn't feel comfortable to me. Now, I think for some people it is very liberating because they are performing for the, I don't know, I kind of go insular. I do, I do the inverse. So that fear of, I guess, maybe it's a fear of being judged. You know, if you got all these people, you don't really know your crew and it, it makes you nervous. It's, it's strange to still have that feeling. You know what I mean? I understand that, but it's kind of puzzling to me because I've seen you do it so well so many times. Do you think there's anything about that fear that winds up enhancing your craft? Um, you hope so. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and then there's the other reality, which is being a director and acting in the movie, I had at least the power to be able to say, I need everybody to clear the set and just give me five minutes so I can prepare because we're going to do this big emotional scene in the cabin, things like that. You do have to prepare for those moments. Um, and you have to go to dark places to achieve the emotion, uh, painful places. So it's, but it's a job at the end of the day, like any job. That it is, you do your job quite well. Well, thank you. <laughs> I want to get into the directing of it all so badly, but it's still back in the beginning stages. One of your first big gigs, Santa Barbara. I was wondering what it was like booking that, especially because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that a gig like that so early on comes with a sense of job security that many out there first starting out in the industry might not have. Yes, and security is the operative word here. I don't know when the next gig is going to come. So there is not security in this industry. I've been in the business for so long, knock on wood, um, and you just still hope. You hope you get an offer. You hope you get an audition. You hope you get to do another gig, <laughs> you know? Is the hope something that drove you to commit to... Uh pursuing a career as a director and also a producer, just having a little more control in that sense? Yes, it, but I think it's also just getting more years under my belt and 
being inquisitive on set, which started years ago where I started hanging closer to the camera department, asking questions. Why'd you put that lens on? And why did you move the camera instead of have it stationary? Just getting different directors and different technicians, opinions, perspectives, and then kind of cataloging that over the last 20 years, then you finally feel, okay, I think I'm ready. I know how to direct actors because I am one and I know how I would like to be directed, you know? Uh, so you got that check, got that done. Um, and then it's, how do you bring your style? How is, how is your style your own? What, what makes it original versus being a copycat of somebody else, you know? So you're kind of writing that line of um, your confidence and translating your vision, just making sure it's translated the way you saw it initially. You mocked me once, never do it again. I died that day. You can die too for all I care. Oh. As you wish. Oh, my sweet Wesley, what have I done? Even though you had already secured your first Emmy nomination before having done Princess Bride, I feel like a lot of times when I read profiles about you, it's always Princess Bride being referred to as your big breakout role. So I am curious, did it feel that way to you or did it kind of feel like that already happened? It definitely felt with Princess Bride. Um, that was just another, a whole other level. Because of William Goldman's work, you know, such an amazing writer, just what an original screenplay. <laughs> um, and the irony in it, when you watch it today and you see what some of the jokes are and you're like, wow, that did you write that this last year during the pandemic? Um, it was an honor to be a part of that film that is now iconic. It's very dry and silly and wry. It holds up somehow. And yes, Rob Reiner as a director, I mean, you can't go wrong. With Rob directing that contest, you got, you got a twofer right there. All right, going back into like the awards zone right now, because I also wanted to touch on Forrest Gump. How does gaining acclaim via an Emmy compare to the doors that might open when you get recognition from the HFPA and, uh, and SAG? Is there any difference or new doors that open with those uh, latter two? I don't know. Do you want to give them a call and ask them? I'd like to know the answer to that. Because <laughs> if that's going to be a guarantee to get a job, I'd like to get on that wagon. Okay. I don't know about a guarantee, but I imagine it was a nice <laughs> nudge forward. Will you marry me? I'd make a good husband, Jenny. You would, Forrest. But you won't marry me. You don't want to marry me. Jumping into House of Cards, what were your expectations for Netflix's, I guess, first original feature series? Was there any concern that it would be too big of a risk at the time, or were you already seeing particular signs that suggested it was going to turn into this epic empire? 
Yeah, I really didn't see Epic Empire in its future. I knew it was going to be a specialized style called David Fincher. And I just, he's one of my favorites as, as a director and just watching him work after seeing all of his movies for so many years and then getting to witness him on, on set. Um, I learned so much from him, A, and I just trusted him. He said, trust me, this is going to be the new future. It's called streaming. And we are basically the founders of it with Netflix. Um, and not only is this a show where you're not gonna know from year to year if you're gonna be picked up again, we have the freedom to let Claire Underwood evolve. We don't even know where she's gonna end up yet. So they didn't have this arc planned because we didn't know if we were gonna be on for one year, two years or six. Um, and working with him and, and the showrunner at the time to, to start to create, who do we want Claire to become? And I remember saying, well, ultimately by the end, she's got to become the first female president. And we got it, I mean, this is the platform to do it. Let's do it. <laughs> How about just in terms of your personal growth behind the lens? Because you had a really interesting path with that series, uh, directing your first episode, I think in season two, becoming an executive producer a little later on. How did it influence your work in front of the lens when those behind the lens components started to kick in? When you're acting and directing, you have to have an incredible team. There's no possible way to do it without your team being your backbone. And in essence, I had three female producers on this movie, as an example. Um, they were on set every day, all day, every minute. They were there watching playback so that if I couldn't get back to watch a take that I had done, I could just lean out of the cabin and be like, was that good? Was it terrible? And they'd be like, no, you need to tell the camera to move around closer to your face, definitely do another take. And this time, you know, run out in the rain, things like that. So I had co-directors um, and we had discussed the movie, the tone, who Edie was, who Edie and Miguel were to each other. We had discussed it for a year prior to starting uh, principal photography. So everyone was on the same page of what we wanted this movie land to feel like. And that atmosphere is hands down one of the most effective elements of the movie, amongst many others. I did want to stick with House of Cards for one more question, because you just emphasized the value of, of a team effort and the folks around you. But you were also an invaluable leader on that set when season six came around. So I was wondering, was there any apprehension into stepping into that kind of role? Or did you kind of just immediately know that you had to do it where it felt like a very natural progression for you? Yeah, the latter. You just naturally knew that that's what needed to be done. Um, you know, they Netflix uh, and our other investors, they needed to let the storm settle because the climate was so hot, right, at the time. And everybody was kind of discombobulated. Like, what is going on? What is that going to do to shooting? these shows and um, and we all just said, why don't we just take a breather? We shut down the show for over a month, I think, 
we collectively just decided we can't do this to the fans. And, and equally importantly, I didn't want all of those employees that had worked on House of Cards. That's our family. They have families to take care of and college educations to pay for and kids to feed and, you know, like anybody losing a job. I just like, no, we can't do that to them. So Netflix and MRC agreed, let, let's resume and we will go out with a bang. I have all the respect in the world for you for stepping up and doing that because that is a, a very important thing that you just highlighted there. Sticking with Netflix here. So you get your start directing on House of Cards. I'm curious why Ozark next as far as a, a series goes? Is there anything about that show that kind of appeals to you when it comes to continuing to hone your craft as a director? Uh, it's one of my favorite shows and has been from episode one, season one. And I just love that cast so much and the style of the show. And you think, well, is it possible that something could be darker than House of Cards? Yes, this one. <laughs> so maybe that's of interest. You know, it's all a kind of a conditioning I have on my, I don't know. I just love the show and respect that, that group of, of actors on it so much. So I'm really honored and excited to be able to direct a little bit of season four. Is there any tool in your toolkit, so to speak, that maybe you would attribute to, I don't know, House of Cards, Land, anything at all that you uh, can apply to Ozark that you're really excited for fans of the show to say? Well, you know, it's interesting because being on House of Cards, we had to adhere to a canvas. There was a style to that show. We could only use certain lenses. We couldn't use handheld camera, never use Steadicam. And so you felt the structure of kind of being confined, but it's a great way to learn when you go, okay, I can't step outside the toy box there. Okay, how am I going to shoot my style without breaking the style of the show? This is going to be the same, I think. And now that I understand, okay, how do I adhere to the Ozark style, but still bring mine as a director? Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of that challenge. I'm rooting for you and have all the faith in the world. Um, before we jump into land, we of course have to hit Wonder Woman. And with that one, I am wondering maybe the decision of committing to a big franchise like that? Because you've done a whole bunch of big, big films out there, but committing to something like the DC franchise is a different kind of commitment. So when you're considering whether or not to take a role in a film series like that, is there any new element of the decision-making process that might not have been there before? It, Patty Jenkins, the director, her enthusiasm on the phone when she called me, because I was shooting House of Cards at the time, she called and she's like, do you want to play one of the greatest warrior women of the Amazon nation? I was like, of course. <laughs> it was, it was a no brainer. I was like, that's going to be a hoot. And we got to get in the best shape of our lives training for that movie at, you know, 50 years old. I was like, I'm into that. Let's go for it. I just, I, I adore her. And, and I loved the movies. Both movies messages are really about justice and equality and love. And I don't know, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Understandable. 
I don't know if this is something you're even interested in, but let's say you got the opportunity to direct a big franchise film like a Wonder Woman. What is something that Patty did on set as far as, you know, being there to support you, creating a great atmosphere on set that you would want to bring to your own blockbuster film? I, again, it's it's her passion and her enthusiasm. She's so quick and so bright. And she really pushed to have her movie, you know, because that's that's a big production stew, you know, that's a big pot, a lot of people, a lot of opinions and um, a lot of directions, you know, this is the movie that we should make, this is the movie we should release, all those. And she really persevered and she was able to make her, her movie. I do like hearing that. So just maybe to get into more specifics there, is there anything that you saw Patty do or a decision that she made that showed to you that she was holding tight to her vision, even if uh, someone around you guys suggested otherwise? She just, she's, she's like, um, she's the energizer bunny. She just, you know, she's gonna, she's going to get what she wants. And she doesn't have to be mean about it. She's just very, she's very ambitious. And I, I really respect that strength. That's the key, isn't it? It's just being yeah. ambitious and not being mean about it. It doesn't sound yeah. like to me. Right? It seems kind of easy. Sticking within the DC film franchise, I don't even know if you're involved in this, but because you are directing feature films now, I'm wondering what your take is on the new cut of Justice League, just in terms of, I don't know, maybe just the value of getting a different cut of a film that was already released in theaters. Is there anything about that process that excites you? Um, I don't know enough about that situation. I have, I never saw Justice League. Um, and I don't even know if we got cut out of it. Anyway, what I do think I know, maybe I have the news incorrect, but um, because uh, the director had a tragedy happen in his personal life, which we know, right? And they basically, I think, took the film away from him. I could have that wrong. And I have to say, with what little I know, if this is that director's vision again, and if this was the story that was signed off on, um, and he's finally able to bring that to fruition, power to him. Big reason why I can't wait to see it. All right, I lie. One more question before I jump into land. I'm just wondering if there's any film in your filmography that you're particular, particularly proud of and you just think deserved a bigger audience. It's called She's So Lovely. John Cassavetes wrote it. Nick Cassavetes, his son, directed it. It got, I think, critical acclaim as much as it could for the size of the film at the time. Um, but I just love the movie. It's great and wild and kooky and about true love. Again, there we go, back to square one. A solid pick right there. I, I have not rewatched it in quite some time, but if uh, my rewatch of White Oleander was any indication, I need to rewatch your filmography more regularly. I quite love that movie too. That's a great one too. That would be the second pick. That was a good one. All right, so now with Land, what was it about that script that made it feel like the right project for you to make your feature directorial debut with? Because I was reading that you had other material coming your way before. So what made that script stand out? It was the time in which I received the script. 
it was about three years ago when we were all witnessing and many experiencing um, a lot of loss and grief with these random shootings that were going on almost bi-weekly. And I just couldn't stop thinking every morning I woke up, just how do these people get through? How do they find their way when everything they knew and that existence that they lived in is gone forever? Life will never be the same again. How do you retrieve yourself or find a new self? Or So I really wanted to delve into the phases of trauma, frankly, and how we need to re-remind ourselves, and that's what this movie does, that there is hope and the power of human resilience is incredible. And it generally takes the kindness of another person, the compassion of another person that pulls you through when you're faced with adversity. And the uplifting, empowering feeling that you get at the end of this movie about hope, a renewed sense of faith. Um, I feel like people want that positive, that positivity right now. They want to yeah. feel hope. It is, uh, that is very, very true. I feel like the root, the roots of these movies are different, but it's kind of just coming up because your movie and Nomadland are so fresh on my mind right now. What do you think it is about stories of people overcoming hardships and grief by, I guess, essentially turning to the land that is interesting to movie lovers right now and also creators as well? Yeah, well, I think it's twofold. It's talking to what many, many people are going through and hopefully will be some kind of therapy to see, oh, here's somebody else's story. Everyone heals in singular ways. Um, there's a story about that way. My movie is a story about this way. It's just one person's journey. And then you feel like you're not alone in a boat. I, that's that's my, percep my perception of hope hoping what people come away with with these movies is the optimism but um did i answer your question i think i went yeah. off the rails also, a little bit also because i can confirm that quality in both your movie and nomad land as well I, th I think movies in general especially movies like these are often a source of therapy for me oh and nature that's what you were talking about uh, yes, yes nature is and has been known for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years that it's medicinal healing and i lived with the producer, we lived on the mountain of this movie land in our trailers so that we could be with nature and not hear cars and honking. And um, it, it was very beneficial for many, many reasons. I think for my sanity, directing and acting, um, only sleeping like three and a half hours a night. We shot this movie in 29 days. We had to get four seasons in 29 days. and very tight schedule. We were constantly rejigging the schedule because the weather would just change in a flash. Um, I wanted nature to be a character in this movie for that reason, because it, again, it's a re-reminder, the messages in this film of, we need the outdoors. We need to commune with nature that's also a beast, but you also have to respect it. So she is taught to respect it so that she can commune with it. 
if you could go back to the very beginning of production and give yourself one piece of advice when it comes to managing that terrain and also the weather, what would it be? Um, ask for more days on your schedule. <laughs> so sometimes we play a would you rather game on Collider and it's all filmmaking questions. And one of the questions that I often ask is, would you, would you rather have enough time, but not enough money or enough money, but not enough time? Time. Even those, those things, it, more time is more money, unfortunately. So I don't even know if that would work, but I definitely time okay. is of the greatest importance. Yes. So going back to the casting, cause I, I know you had been looking to cast someone else as Edie originally. So did the way that you pictured the character change after you yourself committed to playing the role? Um, no, I mean, I wish somebody else would have played her uh, because they probably would have done a better job and that I truly believe that from the bottom of my heart. Um, that's, it's, that's a difficult question for me to answer, you know, because I ended up doing the role, but, oh, I'm always gonna kick myself. I always do, just go, oh you missed that beat or why did you do it that way? You should have done another take. You know, I will always have those regrets, sadly, but that's what happens when you make a movie. You, you do have to, you do have regrets. You do miss things when you don't have enough time or money. Like if you had four months to make this movie, I probably wouldn't have that many regrets right now. <laughs> You were too hard on yourself. You're so but, good. You know, we, we did, with what we had, I think we did a pretty good job as a, as a collective team. You know, really an amazing crew, amazing producers, incredible editors of this movie, because it was a Rubik's Cube. We had many different iterations of the cut of this movie. Like where we gave the end away, the end was the beginning. Like you knew what happened at the beginning. Strip that, let the mystery hang. Let the people engage with this woman's journey. What happened? Now I'm curious, what compelled that decision? Did you get the opportunity to do uh, test screenings or is that just something you felt was right while you were, uh, while you were in the edit booth? Uh, it was both. We started uh, editing and then screened it for friends and family, people that were in the industry, people that are not, and got everybody's opinion and Frankly, what happened was everybody's opinion was different. Sounds you know, you would think you go into these multiple screenings and at least you go, okay, well, it, the consensus says, you know, nine out of 10 people think that it should be this structure. It was all over the map. Everybody wanted a different film. And I just at a certain point had to go into, okay, what is the movie you want translated? And this structure felt right to my heart. I like that you're, you're following your heart. It makes me think back to what you brought up about Patty and how she follows what she knows is true too. So I admire you guys as creators and leaders. 
I have a directing question for you because I think I kind of get the feeling based on how hard you are on yourself and your performance in the movie, which again is excellent. But how does your approach to directing other actors compare to when, I guess, in a sense, you're directing yourself? Because I always have that concept in my mind that we're our own worst critics. And I know that's definitely true for me. So do you find yourself being harsher on yourself than others? Yes, without question. I get, I get it. I mean, right. I mean, would be a hypocrite to say otherwise. And it makes you want to be better. I think. I wonder if I would stop wanting to work if I was just oh, completely pleased with everything I did. <laughs> you know, might might just kind of retire. 